like to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors at the church, and we are so glad and, and really honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us um, on this um, dreary Sunday morning. But it's cool, and I'll take dreary and cool right now um, over anything. So thank you for being here, though. Like Jay said, we're doing a recap of the first 12 chapters of the book of John. We've been in this book... Um, I believe for it's coming up on a year now. It's getting close to a year. And we've covered 12 chapters. And so today we're going to kind of hit pause on moving forward and look back at these first 12 chapters. And you may be asking, well, why would you stop to do this? Well, this is a good time to do this. One, um, many of you college students, most of your co you college students have been gone for the summer. And we just kind of plowed on through John throughout the summer. So this will be good for you to hear where we've come from and what's been covered um, over the last three months. And the rest of us have been kind of in and out all summer. This is the type of year that um, you, you, you travel, you do vacations, that type of thing. So we thought it'd be a good Sunday morning, kind of this kickoff Sunday morning to go back and really look at um, what this book is about. And another interesting thing about this book is between chapters 12 and 13, there's a clear line. It's like a pivot point in the book. It's almost part one and part two, and we find ourselves at the beginning of part two. And part one, these first 12 chapters cover of all those events that were in the first three years of Jesus's ministry. And then the last nine chapters, so 13, I guess eight chapters, 13 through 21, um, take place in about 10 days. 10 days. And so things really slow down. These events become really, really important. John gives more details because he was there. And so that is what we're going to be doing for the rest of the fall is digging in to the rest of this book. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in um, and, and kind of dig into this, these, these few passages. Father, I'm thankful for our time. I'm thankful that Every week we get to come here and center ourselves on you and your word and your son and the spirit. I'm thankful that you've revealed yourself in the Bible. So when we stand up here to preach, we don't have to uh, figure out what we're going to preach or what we're going to say or what, what topic we're going to cover. You've given us your word and you reveal yourself in your word. And so we're thankful for that. And I pray as we look at the word this morning... And take this kind of large view of uh, one of the 66 books of the scripture. I pray that you would meet us there in your spirit. That you would change our minds. You would change our hearts. You would change the way we live when we leave this place. And we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if we're going to do a recap, there's no better place to start than the, the purpose of this book. And we've read these two verses uh, probably over 10 times in different places throughout the first 12 chapters. But we want to read this again. Jay, it was one of the passages Jay just read. It's John 20, verse 30 and 31. This is, John's telling us right here why he wrote this gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose statement. That's the reason why John wrote this book. Another way to say that, or to restate that, you could say, the way to true life is through belief in Jesus. And because of that, John says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. 
right? If, if, if he's the most important thing we can believe in and he leads, uh, leads to true life, then I'm going to spend my time talking about Jesus, showing you who Jesus is, telling you what he did. And along with Jesus in, in, this, in this, these verses 30 and 31, the two other ideas that are most important are believe and life. Believe and life. And we're going to look at those, spend our, or the rest of our time looking at believe and life, or belief and life. And belief, start with belief, it's one of the, the most important, if not the most, the, 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 the most important thing you can have as a person is belief. It affects you, it changes you, it controls you. What you put your faith and trust and belief in affects everything else about your life. An example of this came up just this week. My wife and I, um, on two nights ago, were watching a Netflix documentary over Manti Teo, right? It's a new documentary, and it's, it's called The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist or something like that. But if you don't know Manti Teo, he was in 2000. 2009 through 2013, he was a, a great linebacker for the University of Notre Dame. And in 2012 to 13, Manti Teo developed this long-distance relationship with a girl online. Uh, I believe it was through Facebook. And the thing about it is this girl, this girl didn't exist, right? He was catfished, right? And so but the, but he, he believed that she Existed, and this guy was an all-American Heisman finalist. He was in the news. He he had a very public persona that senior year at Notre Dame, and so after and then and then part of the the, the catfishing or the the hoax, um, this person had this girl die early on in his uh, senior year in, in in September October, and when she died, it it, it crushed him. It crushed him because he had developed this relationship and deep feelings for this girl online over the past year plus time, and he thought she died. And so this became public. He began talking to the media about it. He began saying, like, I'm, we're gonna, uh, he's the captain of Notre Dame, and he said, we're going to dedicate this season to her because she died. And so, and so all of his teammates kind of rallied behind him. And Notre Dame, um, that year, they started unranked. And they end up finishing playing for the national championship game. Kind of an underdog Cinderella story. And a lot, they, they gave a lot of credit to these moving speeches that Manti Teo was giving and, and dedicating it to the girlfriend and all of these things. And so, but she wasn't real. And it came out that it was a hoax. He'd been catfished. Another guy had started this account. And it's just a, a tragic story. And I, I, I try to put myself in his shoes, and I, we can kind of laugh at him, but I don't know if any of us would be immune to believing that to some degree. This was a well-done, elaborate hoax that got him. But the point of me sharing that story is he believed she was real. Now, he didn't have enough proof, obviously, but from what he had, he believed she was real, and it changed him. I mean, he fell in love with this girl. And it also changed the way he played football. And it also ended up changing his team because he was the captain. And it ended up leading to them probably playing better because of this and, and using this as motivation to go all the way to the national championship. Belief changes things. What we believe in, what we put our trust in, it will change us. It changes our behavior. It changes our feelings. It changes who we are as a person. Belief is very important. Now, the other word here is life, right? John is saying, if I show you who Jesus is, my prayer is that you would believe 
and that belief would lead to life. And life is that thing as all human beings we want. We want. And when he says that you would have life and life in his name, he, 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 he nuances that. He kind of narrows that down to say not just life, but life in Jesus. So this doesn't mean life without hardship or sickness. This doesn't mean um, uh, material prosperity. This doesn't mean God is going to bless your plans apart from what his will is for you, and you're just going to live the way you want to live, and God's going to attach his blessing to it. That's not what life means in this verse. It actually means eternal life to begin with. right? We can clearly see it means that, but it also means life here and now. In this moment, having abundant life, fullness of life, to be loved, to, be, to, to have hope, to have purpose, value, worth, an identity, to belong to something. And I could go on and on and on. And these are the type of things when God created us, he created us as human beings to, to need those things and to want those things. And wanting those things isn't bad. And so when John says, I want you to believe in him, and that you would have life in his name, he is that's what he's saying here, that Jesus, all of these things are found in a relationship with Jesus. Now, again, all of us want this. doesn't matter if you've been raised in church or, you've been in, or, or you, maybe this is your first time in a church or you're a, a professing Christian and you're not a Christian. All of us want these things. All of us want life. Now, what differs from person to person is where we look to find that life. What are we going to put our belief in? What are we going to bank on? What are we going to trust in that we think is going to give us the life that we want? So you have belief and you have life. But again, John says the reason why he's the, the thing he can control in this is he's going to report what he's seen about Jesus. Right? He's there. He's with Jesus. He's one of the disciples. So John is saying, I'm going to write this book so that you will believe and through believing that you may have life. So let's go back into this book a little bit, and, and I'm going to quickly go over a few things to help us understand this person, Jesus, that John is putting up before us. So let's look at John 1, 1 through 4. This is talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. That word there, capitalized in your Bibles, means Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Don't miss that. This means that Jesus has always existed. As part of the Trinity. When we say God created everything, we're saying God the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Jesus isn't created. He's always existed from the beginning of time, before Genesis 1.1. In verse 3, all things were made through him. He was there at creation. He helped create the world. Everything we see, he helped create it. It says, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 4, kind of have echoes of the passage in, in chapter 20. In him was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Meaning that he is the source of all life. The life we're all looking for is found in Jesus. And then he uses this metaphor of light that he's, he uses throughout the book, that, life, that this light expels darkness. It illuminates. It guides it helps us see the way. These are all things that light does. So he compares him being the source of life to a light that, that, that shines the light on our way and helps us through um, life. He also, uh, John, talks about signs. 
he, he says these are the signs that Jesus did. Jesus referred to the things he did as signs. So here are a few signs that we see in the first 12 chapters that we've looked at in the previous months. He turned water into wine in chapter 2, showing that he is the Messiah. And he cares even about wedding parties. He cares so much about us having joy in the things that God created that he turns water into wine, making that wedding even better. He cleanses the temple further on in chapter 2, showing that, yes, he, he wants to purify his temple, but this is also a kind of the deeper meaning here is he's starting something new. He is the true temple. He's going to bring a new temple one day, and this is the beginning of that. And then chapter 4. He heals the nobleman's son, showing that just through the words of his power, just one word can heal someone, that his word has power, it has might. Chapter 5, he heals the lame man, showing that he, he not only cares about physical healing, but we see in that passage the deeper meaning is he cares about healing us spiritually. Chapter 6, he feeds the multitude. Like he cares even that, that people are hungry. This crowd of people were around, and he had enough attention to detail and just the basics of life that he wanted to meet their need, showing that he has power over food. Later on in chapter 6, he walks on water, showing that he has authority over nature and showing us that we don't have to be fearful and terrified of the, of the things that nature brings us. Chapter 9, he heals the blind man. Gives sight to the, the physically blind, but through that we see that he also is one who gives sight to the spiritually blind. Chapter 11, just a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, and he rules over death, and he gives life to the physically dead. And that's just supposed to point us to the fact that he gives life to the spiritually dead as well. And then we also see this embodied in the resurrection. Right? Jesus is the only man who has conquered death, who's, who's died, who's been brought back from the dead, and he's never died again, showing us that he was, in fact, God, and he's, he's king, and he rules over sin, um, Satan, and death. And he shows us that in the resurrection. So all of these things John has put before us so that we would believe, that he would show us that this person, Jesus, is worth believing in. You can count on believing in the person and work of Jesus. It's not some pithy statement of belief that maybe some of us have bought into every once in a while or a verse on a shirt or a coffee mug or, or, or something we see um, something on Instagram. We say, no, this is, this is showing us the, the grit and the grime in the life of Jesus. John was there. He walked with him. He heard him speak, and he's showing us why we should put our faith in Jesus. And when we say, I'm a believer, this is who we're putting our faith and belief in. In. So let's talk about this idea of belief a little bit more, right? So in this particular passage, in 30 and 31, those verses, we see believe and believing. He uses that word twice, and it's, it's, just, it's all encompassing. It is a once in, once in time. Many of you, when you're telling your story, you would say, I believed in Jesus at X time. Maybe you have even the date and the location. But he also uses the word believing. This is a participle. It's an action that continues on into the future. So as followers of Jesus, we never stop believing. We never stop believing. We believed once, and we will always be believers. And if you noticed already, I've been using belief and faith and trust all interchangeably. This is what, especially in the New Testament, is done. The same word, it can be translated belief or faith or trust. 
Okay? So the first idea that we have to know when it comes to belief is that we have to know and believe the truth about him. Now I have a slide about this just so you can follow along with me here. Kind of the first idea with belief is to, that we know and we believe the truth about him. That we must know him. And it's not just we just know truths about him or propositions about him, that we actually have a relationship with him. That he, he brings us into a relationship. When we say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, we don't just mean, hey, I know some propositions about him. I know he saves me through his de life, death, and resurrection. Yes, that is true, but it is so much more than that. This is why John doesn't stop when he says, um, in, in these verses, he says that you might believe that, one, Jesus is the Christ. He doesn't say just believe in Jesus. He says believe Jesus is the Christ. And Christ there literally means the, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah. So when, when the, the biblical readers would have heard the Christ said in their language, they would have clearly known, oh, this is the one that's been promised. This is the chosen one. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah that has come. So it's more than just believing in a guy named Jesus. He is the Christ. And then John says he's the son of God. Again, this, this identity statement that John gives to Jesus, this speaks to Jesus' place in the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has been very clear throughout the book that we've seen so far that he's, he doesn't shy away from saying, yeah, I'm equal with God. I am the Son of God. I am deity. I am divine. Jesus is not shying away from making that claim. So again, when we say believe, we're believing in someone more than just a good guy or a teacher. He's, he's Lord. He's the Messiah. He is those other things. That's what makes up his character and person, but he is fully God. So it's more than facts. It is more than being um, just an intellectual assent to knowing Jesus. And Tim Keller, if you um, know anything about him or followed his life recently, he um, not long ago was dying, had a, got a terrible diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer. And in the cancer world, you know that that is not a good prognosis for that type of cancer at that stage. So Tim Keller's been writing these things, and he's been really reflecting about having cancer. And, 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 and this was an article that I read in The Atlantic where they interviewed him about death and how he was handling this and all these things. And, and I have a quote here from that particular article, and I'll just, yeah, read that. One of the first things I learned was that religious faith does not automatically provide solace in times of uh, crisis. A belief in God and an afterlife does not become spontaneously comforting and existentially strengthening. Despite my rational, conscious acknowledgement that I would die someday, the shattering reality of a fatal diagnosis provoked a remarkably strong psychological denial of mortality. Here's what, ten, what, here's what Keller's saying here, right? He's saying, I, knew, I know all the stuff, right? He's a smart dude. He's brilliant. He's a great teacher. He's a great pastor. And he's saying, I knew all the things, right? I knew, I knew um, that I would die one day. I know I'm going to heaven. I know who my Savior is. He knows all those things. He's taught about it. But he reveals in this article that when he got that diagnosis for the first time, he felt like, okay, do I really believe, though? Like, do I really believe? Do, am I really going to stake my life and my trust on this person when I've gotten the worst news of my life. And so he's basically saying it's a, it's a gut check time. 
It's a gut check when his belief, was it just intellectual assent for him? He was saying to himself, or am I going to go deep here? I mean, is is Jesus really going to be my rock or my savior when times are the worst? Or just when I'm healthy and times are the best? It's a really good article and really shows Keller kind of differentiating between like knowing about Jesus and knowing a little bit about Jesus to actually pursuing him as his Lord and savior, which Keller has done over the last 40, 50, 60 years of his life, but he's having to tap into the reserves that he's built up over time of knowing Jesus as his Lord. When we say we believe in him, it means we delight in him. We strive to make Jesus our treasure. John Piper says this about kind of this, this idea of, 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 of believing. Uh, it's a deeper than just um, the intellect. He says, in other words, belief is seeing him for who he really is, seeing him as infinitely valuable as the Son of God. It's not just acknowledging the fact that he is the son, but also seeing him as infinitely precious and valuable. Satan, on the other hand, does not view God as precious and valuable. He hates Christ, and Christ is a threat to his own value. We see also in the scriptures, the scriptures talk about, oh, yeah, the devil knows the devil knows God. The devil knows Jesus. The devil knows, knows about Jesus and God more than you and I ever will. The scripture says, yeah, he knows Jesus. He's got, he's got, he knows more theology than any of us could possibly know, but he doesn't love Jesus. Jesus is an enemy to him. Jesus is not Satan's Lord. So how are we any different than, 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 than the devil if we just say, yeah, I know some things about Jesus, or maybe I prayed a prayer one time, and I maybe strive to pursue and know him occasionally. No, he's our Lord and our Savior. We should strive to know him. And if we're going to talk about belief, if we're really going to be serious about faith and belief and trust, we have to pursue him. We have to strive to know this person that John has laid out before us in this book. We have to pursue him relationally. And if we don't pursue him, we are not going to have a deep belief. We're not. And we're not going to experience the life that he promises us in him if we don't pursue him. So the application, first application point is we need to pursue him. John is holding Jesus up for us to know who he is so that we would pursue him in relationship. But here's the problem. There's a problem that comes with this. For all of us, even those, those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we are sinful still. We have this part of us called the flesh. It's our old person, and that will still remain until we die or Jesus comes back. So the battle that we have before us is still being, first off, being aware of the pockets and areas of our life where our flesh still controls us. Our flesh is still battling us. Our flesh is still making it it difficult to truly believe in who God is and who Jesus is. So we must grow in awareness of our areas of unbelief. And this takes work. It takes some, some quiet. It takes some reflection. It takes some paying attention to where are you finding life. What are you putting your faith, hope, and trust in? How is that, is that delivering on, on the promises that it's making to you? Is it a counterfeit? Is it a lie? And we see the best picture of this in Genesis 3. When, when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve have been given everything. Face-to-face, relationship with God, been given access to everything in the garden. It's very clear God's expectations for them. And very, very easy in our minds, we see this, we're like, Adam and Eve, you had, you had everything, and he just said, don't mess with this one tree. And Satan comes along in the form of a serpent and says, he, he tempts them, right? And they, they fall into that temptation. What did Satan tempt them with? He, he caused them to not believe the promises of God. He, he, he went straight for their belief. Did God really say that? 
God's really good. Are you sure? God said that, that you, everything would be right and good as long as you didn't touch that tree. Now, wait a minute. Like he, so he's, he's withholding from you then. Would a God withhold that from you? Would a good God withhold the things you want from you? No. So pursue it. Go after it. And Adam and Eve saw that. And in that moment, they said, yes, I want to make my own decisions. I, we want to be God. We want to decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. We want to create our own identity outside of the identity that God has given to us, and we know what happens. They, they take the fruit, they eat it, and sin comes into the world. And we are no different than Adam and Eve. We have these deep places where we struggle believing the goodness of God, the promises of God, that life is truly found in Jesus. Let's just take one area for kind of a, a practice on here. Let's take the, the, the thing of approval, right? As human beings, we want people to like us. Most of us do, right? Most of us do. Um, we want people to like us. We want people to, to think highly of us. Many of you college students are here, and you're starting back at school today, um, today or tomorrow, this week, and, and here's, what's, here's what you're going to face. You know, I was right where you were at 20-something years ago. I was at OU. I've spent enough time around college students and doing this for a while to know what you're about to face. One of the biggest struggles you're going to have is wanting people to like you, wanting the people that you want to be liked by to like you. You want belonging. You want a crew to run with. You want somebody to be able to, to hang out with on the weekend. So you, you believe that having certain people like you is going to lead to life, but it won't. And here's what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen is you're going to start making decisions that follow that belief, right? That belief of, I need these people to like me is going to cause you to make maybe decisions that you normally wouldn't make, right? And you're going to maybe do things you weren't prepared, you, weren't, you wouldn't even think you would do um, the first month of school because your belief, what, what you're looking for in life is acceptance. You want approval. You want someone to like you. You want, you want a crew to belong to. And again, community is not bad. God hardwired us in creation for community. But it's not the kind of community that says you need to act a certain way or be a certain kind of person or, or live a certain lifestyle to be a part of my community. Right? That is, but that's the communities that are often offered on a college campus. Maybe some of you in this room are looking to, your, uh, looking to be approved by God by your behavior. You've turned Christianity into just being a good person religion, right? So your, your kind of whole mindset is if I can be a good person, God's going to accept me, or Christians around me are going to accept me because I look up to them. But here's the truth, like, it's never going to be enough. None of us, no human being other than Jesus, is ever going to be good enough to have a relationship with God, period. So we need to drop this idea that Christianity is primarily about good behavior and being a certain kind of person. Christianity is primarily about giving your lives to Jesus and trusting in Jesus that it is his righteousness that saves us, and that God wants to change us from the to live lives that glorify and honor him, yes, but it's because we've been loved. It's because we've been accepted. It's because we have the righteousness of Christ and now the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a life that honors God. Not so we can get approval from him. Not so we can be just good enough person so so-and-so will like me. No, we, you want to be a part of a community of people that, that approve of you because you're honest with who you are. I'm a sinful human being in need of God's grace on a daily basis, and I look to him to, to save me on a daily basis. 
That's the kind of community you want to be a part of. People who are, are, will admit that they're sinful and need God's help. Some of us, um, maybe you're out of college now, those of you in this room. Maybe you make decisions on approval based off of um, maybe the stuff you own, the house you have, the car you drive, the job you have, the title you have. Like You look to these things to get worth and value and identity. Those things may work for a short amount of time, but they can be taken away. Those things can be taken away, and it, and it is, a, it is a, um, a treadmill that leads nowhere to, be, to keep running and running and running to keep that approval up from other people who are sinful themselves who will never approve of you the way you want to be approved of. The only person who can approve of you is Jesus in, a, in, in an unconditional way because of what he has already done on our behalf. Now, I'm going to challenge you parents here because I'm a parent as well. Some of you want to be seen as a certain kind of parents. You want your kids in certain kind of activities. You're afraid they're going to get missed out. They don't look a certain way. They don't dress a certain way. They don't get grades a certain way. Right? You're vicariously living your life through your kids because you want to be seen as a certain kind of parent. I am guilty of this. It is hard. It is a battle for parents. We have to remember that if we put all of that weight upon our kids, the moment they fail us and they cease to be the kids we want them to be, and they will fail us. They're going to be crushed under that weight, and they are not going to enjoy being your son or daughter in that moment because you're putting all the weight on them to prop yourself up and get approved of by these other parents. Again, approval is sneaky. It's why I use it. But it could be control. It could be comfort. It could be whatever it is. I'm just using approval as an example of the things we need to reflect on. What are you putting your belief in? What are you putting your trust in? How's that working for you? Is that truly leading to life? Third, so we have belief. We have to know him. We have to pursue him. And then we have to be aware of our areas of unbelief. And third, we, we have to take the things we know about Jesus and apply them to those areas of unbelief. So let's take approval, by the way, uh, just for example, because that's what we've been talking about. Scriptures like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, how good is that? While you were at your worst, if you have faith, Christ died for you. At your worst, Christ died for sinners. You were once spiritual orphans, and if you have faith, you're now children of God. The door is wide open for you to become into God's family. Not because of something you did, but because of something he did. We were all once spiritual orphans, and he gives us the opportunity to become sons and daughters. Feel, feel, feel the acceptance in that. Would you like to be accepted into God's family not based off of anything you did, but based off of someone else. That sounds pretty good. That gets us off the treadmill that leads to nowhere. right? Jesus says, you're no longer my enemies, you're now my friends. So we're not enemies of God anymore if we have faith. We're now friends of God. You want a friend group? There it is. Jesus, right? You're no longer enemies, you're friends. John is telling us in this book that everything, again, chapter 1, everything's been created through Jesus. And we say we believe and trust in Jesus, we're saying we believe in the one who has created everything, who's given us all these things. And John wants us to see that it's, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a, a healer. He is God. And we can trust him and we can believe in him. We can have hope in him. We can give our fear to him. When our life feels like it's falling apart, which in the next couple of months, all of us, I can almost guarantee all of us are going to go through trials in the next two or three months. Some trial of some kind. And this is going to reveal who you're putting your trust in for life. You can put your trust in God. He is God, yet he loves you. He sees you. He cares about you. 
He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you hope. And I could go on and on and on because those are the promises found in the Scripture. So when we discover our area of unbelief, we have to take these promises about Jesus that John and the rest of the, the, the biblical writers give us and apply them directly to that. Why do I want to be liked so much by other people? What's underneath that? Has that ever worked out long-term the way I want it to be? Probably not. Someone's always going to disappoint you. And it's exhausting trying to get people to like you over a long period of time. So the application point here, speak the gospel back to yourself. Now I want to close with this. I want to talk to a few. I think this is kind of a process you see, these, these steps. And I want um, to talk to people maybe along the different uh, points of this particular process. Some of you are in here, and you know you're not a Christian. And I'm so glad that you're here. I want, I want you to know you're always welcome back. This is a safe place for you to question, to doubt, to wrestle with some very big things that we think um, just are huge, right? But what I want you to consider and what John would want you to consider is to believe in the one who created you and gives you life and gives you what you really need for life because he's the one who was there at creation. He knows what you need. So trust him. Put your faith in him. Trust that he will welcome you into his family, that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. He died the death that all of us deserve to die so that you could have the opportunity to be brought back into his family, to God's family, to be a, 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 a son and a daughter of God. Believe that. Trust that. Again, believe that he is the one that you can find life in. And, and, and when I talk to people that maybe have, have, have gone away from the church or maybe who, who never were followers of Jesus, one of the things I often get or hear is that, oh, I, I've just been such a bad person. Or you, you, there's no way God could love me if he knew what I did the, the night before, the week before. First off, he's God. He does know what you did. And, he's also, and then he's offering Jesus to believe in. But again, our faith is not based off our, the, the strength of our faith. Our faith isn't, the, the strength of our faith doesn't matter. It's the object of our faith that matters. Right, we put all the faith we have, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, the scripture says, and that's enough. As long as the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done yesterday. It doesn't matter what kind of person you were last week. If you believe in Jesus, you have life. Okay, number two. Some of you in here, and I say this as gently as possible as a, as a pastor, right? But some of you just need to wake up. Some of you need to wake up. Maybe you would consider yourself a Christian, but not according to the Bible's definition. When you say, yes, I believe in God, maybe it's not according to the, the, the definition of belief that the Bible lays out that we saw today. Maybe your belief is intellectual. Maybe you believed at one point years ago that you, you said, yes, I'm, I want to follow Jesus, but, but not, not, you haven't even thought of belief since then. And maybe you're looking to your own righteousness to save you, your own morality to save you, and that won't save you either right? You need to wake up and pursue him and pursue him. Trust him. Trust that pursuing him and knowing him is worth it. The third set of people, some of you need to pursue him, um, but there's still things in your life that you might not be aware of from, from, that are holding you back. This is where you need to really focus on being aware of what's getting in the way, being aware of those places where you still have unbelief. You need to do some deep um, reflection in these areas. You need to turn everything off, turn the screens off, and just pay attention to your life. Pay attention to your, your what, what do you want? What are you putting your trust in? What do you believe in to give you life? And write that down. 
and begin taking the truths of Scripture and applying it to those things. And lastly, number four, some of you are aware of these areas, right? Aware of the areas where you're falling short. Maybe you're, you're in a constant fight and you're struggling. And you feel miserable because you have no victory over sin, no victory over unbelief, and you are just you are beating yourself up. Well, you need to take what you know to be true about God and Jesus and connect it to those areas, right? Trust. Trust that when he says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you, right? What can all these things do? You are more than conquerors because you're loved by Jesus, right? Come to me. I will give you rest for your souls. I am gentle and lowly. Do you believe those things? Do you believe he wants to give you rest? Do you believe he wants to take the guilt and the shame and give you power through the Spirit to overcome those things? Maybe that's you in this room. And I'll close with this. All these things can be accomplished through these four things. Right? Go ahead and take it to the next slide, Noah. Um, first one is spending time with God in his word. Right? If I was going to say how, like I'm sure you say, okay, this is a lot. Where do I start? Well, all of these things will probably be helped or aided by spending time with God in his word, period. Like, honestly, these things aren't going to happen if you don't have a consistent rhythm of pursuing him in his word. This is how he's revealed himself to us. Study his word. Two, close, kind of, kind of in, in tandem with spending time with God in his word is prayer. Not just speaking prayer, but actually listening. And third, um, we've talked a lot about this over the last couple of years, but creating space for silence and solitude to hear the Spirit. How are you going to pray? How are you going to listen to that still, small voice of the Spirit if you're never alone or if things are never quiet or if you always have earbuds in or you always have a screen on? You have to get away and create some space, even if it just starts with five minutes, to hear his voice, to do that deep, reflective work, maybe in your own heart and your own soul. And lastly, and I want to highlight this, Fourth, you have to live life around people who are trying to do the same thing. You have to have biblical community because there are going to be weeks when my unbelief areas are raging and you need people who are around you to, 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 to remind you of the truth. Remember who Jesus is. Like, don't get so worked up about what that person thinks of you. Remember who actually, whose opinion is most important and that's God because of the work of Jesus. You have people texting you and praying for you and calling for you and encouraging you and fighting this fight with you because it is a fight. It's hard. You need other people to come alongside of you to do this. You need brothers and sisters who are taking this seriously to be able to come alongside you and do this. And here at Providence Road, just because I know we have guests and new people here today, we do this primarily through what we call gospel communities. And we say every week almost get in one. Get in a gospel community. It's a group of 10 to 20-ish people that, that walk together and meet regularly, open the Bible together, pray together, care for one another's needs. And within those Gospel communities, we have what are called discipleship groups, right? Discipleship groups are groups of anywhere from three to seven of either all men or all women. Get together, maybe go a little bit deeper. Maybe go through some more specific stuff that, that kind of aims at some of the things you're wanting to grow in in these areas. Your GC leaders, if you've been here, been a while, been here at Providence Zone for a while, and you're not in a GC or a discipleship group, please make every effort to get in one. We want you to, to walk with people for a long period of time who will help you in these areas. And this is what biblical community looks like. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for revealing yourself in your word, as always. Help us. Help us believe, Spirit. Help us know that we're loved. Help us pursue you when there's so many other things in our life that um, look more attractive at the moment to pursue. 
could be things that are super innocent, could be things that aren't as innocent, but help us pursue you. Help us be aware of the, the areas of our life that our flesh is still controlling, that we don't really believe you in certain areas. Help us identify those things. Help us take the truths and the scriptures that we know and the promises and apply those things to our areas of unbelief. Help us, Lord. We need your help in this way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.